Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. My name is Barrett Anderson. I am uh, our podcast host and the COO of Future in Review and Strategic News Service. Um, I'm here today with Evan Anderson, who is the CEO of Invent IP and the founding author and publisher of the Viral Economy, which he wrote throughout most of the pandemic and was my go-to source for what to do if you're trying to figure out what the heck is going to happen with COVID. Um, and we're going to talk today a little bit more about where we stand in today's COVID pandemic uh, and what to expect from monkeypox and how to think about preparing for a future in which both of these things may continue to be and in, in, in some cases maybe even become increasingly more so uh, present and and able to transmit easily between people, regardless of whether or not they're having sex, as opposed to some of the information that we're seeing out there about monkeypox. Um, so Ev, I'm, I'm wondering if you could just start off by giving us a, a sense of your, your, you know, we are at a place now, I think people generally have relaxed around COVID. You and I both came back from a couple of conferences recently. Most people out there are not wearing masks anymore. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit more about, you know, currently we we like in the last year since the start of the calendar year, we have seen half of all transmission during the entire pandemic. However, deaths have declined, but we're still on track to lose probably I think between 100 and 250 thousand American lives every year in the next couple of years. That's that's what estimates are, are saying now. And I'm just curious, like, how do you think about that? Um, well, that's a very broad question, but I would say <laughs> I think about it in um, slightly searing terms at times. Um, I think we're in a place right now where some good things have happened and some bad things have happened, right? So the good things that people love to talk about uh, when they're trying to paint a rosier picture than perhaps we should have, um, but are still true and good um, are that, you know, as of where we stand today, uh, the death rates are far down for vaccinated populations, although that's starting to change, which we should talk about. Um, and, and that means and severe cases as well. And so that means that, you know, despite new variants at the moment, and particularly with a booster, it does appear that your risk of dying, if you're particularly if you're in that kind of middle category where you're at risk and would have been very at risk before the vaccines came out, um, your risk of dying is still much lower than it would have been before. Um, but that does not mean that that will hold, right? So um, the center cannot hold is kind of something that I quoted in the viral economy and um, kind of pops into my head on a regular basis where uh, we're looking at a virus that mutates so fast. I mean, if you would think back to the early days of the pandemic, we didn't know that. And for kind of a while, it seemed right in the beginning of 2020 as though that wasn't going to be the case. And if that had been true, if it had been true that the virus did not mutate a lot, um, we would have been in a great position now because our vaccines would have been effectively the same as same efficacy as they were early on. Um, so if you recall, you know, when we all first got access to vaccines, it, it felt great because suddenly, yeah, we, thought, we thought we were done. We're good. Yeah. The more you vaccinate, the better. Right. And, and it's a vaccination campaign like many others we've had. Um, and, and that looks pretty encouraging because your numbers just start to rise with vaccinations. But then we hit boosters and there was a reason we hit boosters and we hit waning immunity and we're seeing waning immunity as well for um, previous infections. So 
um, the, the kind of idea that was temporarily floating in the air there that um, we were kind of just, it was like a zero or one question and you either, you know, did or did not do the thing. And then you either were or were not protected is not the case. Um, I think a lot of people feel betrayed by that, but um, they shouldn't because it's a moving new, you know, thing. It's not a, it's not a traditional pathogen by pretty much any standard. It's a new kind of pathogen. We're not used to the way it works. It doesn't work like even other coronaviruses do. Um, it mutates much faster. So um, we should have probably known all along, and some of us pretty much did know all along that that was going to be a problem. Um, yeah, if you but... if you had been reading the viral economy early on, you would have <laughs> seen this coming. Um, I'm curious. So you mentioned something about the fact that death rates are have been going down and not starting to change. What's what's going on there? Well, so we don't know yet. Um, and what's going on is a new variant, right? That's that's the obvious part. We don't know yet what the uh, what the change will be, but we do know that there's more immune escape in the newest variants, um, particularly BA five, right? Um, Eric Topol, by the way, if you are out there and looking for good information, has done some really good um, posting on social media, writing of articles, etc. That is always pretty accurate descriptions of what's going on with the newest variants. So follow that. Um, but anyhow, we, we have a new variant that's, you know, starting to increase hospitalizations, increase deaths right now. It doesn't look necessarily, I mean, the UK is already starting to come down off that curve of that variant a little bit. I hope it looks like it. Um, and right now it doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to kind of blow our whole, um, immunity out of the water, but it's one of many variants and yeah. there will be many, many more. And so the longer that we pretend that there is not an ongoing pandemic, the longer the virus is going to be circulating in the population and passaging through human beings, which means it can train itself to do a million different things just through replication. So um, the, the probability that you're going to get a variant that is either more deadly or more severe, you know, doesn't kill you, but puts you in the hospital or damages your organs more than traditional, <laughs> traditional COVID um, strains have is uh, only going to get higher the more you allow it to be spread. So I want to address, you said something I think is important, and I've heard a lot of people in my network or people that I've met, you know, talking about COVID say, well, at least it's, you know, a lot less, you know, uh, milder. It's a lot milder. Yeah. And like, you know, at least I'm not going to die. I think is what I'm hearing other people say, what are like, what should you worry about? Like, what are the I know, and we're, I know clearly we're just starting to get a sense of what this means, what long, what long COVID entails, because uh, it, we're only two years into the pandemic, but um, what kinds of, like, why not get it? Why is it worth, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. why is it worth wearing a mask? If you, if you want, if you truly want, want to make sure you do not get COVID, is that possible? And if so, um, like, how do you balance having, you know, what, what are best practices for your daily life that give you some freedom and ability to go out there and, and not go crazy as a human being? But so I'm going to jump in here because yeah. we're on question number three now. So um, first, uh, mild, it's not necessarily milder. It, it has been milder in populations that have already been infected and have been vaccinated. Um, that comes down to a question of, is it actually milder or is it kind of the same as it was before, but we have some built up immunity, in which case the next question is, if that immunity wanes and you become less immune over time, is it going to become more of a problem just by nature if we're not doing boosters, et cetera, right? So that's one important thing mm -hmm. is that I don't think that it's, a, it's entirely honest when people just claim that the strain is milder, like Omicron, they said the strain was milder. 
um, without describing why, right? And that requires some degree of research. Um, Omicron was milder among vaccinated populations. Well, Omicron was milder among vaccinated and previous and previously infected populations um, because at the point that it burst onto the scene, we'd right. had so many infections globally that it's a little bit hard to track. And I've seen some great, you know, um, back and forth between, I think, very honest science brokers, essentially, about whether that is because we had some built up immunity. And, it, you know, it kind of would be like a, a semblance of that herd immunity we were looking for, um, which it turns out is not necessarily something we can rely on. Uh, it's the same question, right? So did we have some existing immunity in the population? Sure. Um, did the vaccines add some immunity too? Sure, of course. Um, and then the question is, how long does that last? And was Omicron itself milder in its genetic coding and its effect on the body? Or you know, were, were our existing bits of immunity floating around in people that had either been infected or been vaccinated right, right. helping as well? Yeah. And will that you know last forever? We don't actually know that. So um, that's one big question. I think the second question you asked was, um, will help, help remind me. Long-term effects. What, like, yeah, why so did I not get COVID? Yeah, so at this point, from everything that we've seen, it's extremely common, which is not great. I have not seen evidence that it doesn't, just like a flip of the coin, um, occur at a certain percentage rate each time you get an infection. So I don't think that's a settled debate either. So, you know, the estimates range a lot, but I would say kind of somewhere in the middle line would be 20% of infections result in long-term symptoms, okay. which symptoms sort of depends, right? So some can be kind of mild, like you lose your sense of smell, which um, the implications of that aren't great because it means that, you know, certain cells in your body are still being damaged or attacked. Um, but those things, you know, maybe not such a big deal, but organ damage, brain damage, the things that are causing the brain fog, if it's brain damage and that's lasting, that is not good, right? So um, that's a really high percentage rate, even if it's kind of a middle of the road estimate to be condemning the entire population to just suffer through. And then the secondary question would be, if that same chance of getting long COVID occurs each time you get infected, right, though, yeah. every person is getting four infections a year, then that's gonna be really, really bad. Not so just one in, essentially one in, one in five of those, you could get long COVID. Yeah, that would, it, it, you know, it just like with probability with flipping a coin, if the, ch you know, the chance would be the same on each, each instance. And if that is the case, and you don't get some sort of protection from a previous infection, which these days does not look like the scene is that rosy for that kind of concept, uh, then your chances may be kind of similar for getting long COVID or even worse or better, depending on a variant, right? We don't know, but uh, that that's not good. You don't, you don't want to be exposing the population repeatedly to something that has each time a 20% chance of resulting in long-term debilitating. The thing that, yeah, the thing that scares me the most that uh, convinces me to wear my mask inside uh, is the, when you, you know, all of these reports about kind of like opening people up who have, or looking inside people who have long COVID and I just finding tons of blood clots like all yeah. throughout their body, right? And so, you know, that could be, Happen, that could happen to anyone who had who had had COVID and they might not know about it. Yeah, that's right. one of the things that I think people get um, confused about because people who stand to benefit from minimizing the disease um, will will tend to talk about it like it's the cold or the flu now because we, people aren't, you know, in the ICU as often as they used to be. Um, but one, that's not guaranteed, which we've already talked about. And two, the actual things that are happening inside your body during a COVID infection are often extremely unfavorable and particularly if they last, right? And so we're figuring out now that they may last. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't imagine myself getting brain damage when I get the flu. 
I don't imagine myself getting, you know, long-term heart damage, liver, kidney damage. Um, and I certainly don't imagine myself filling with microclots and having my blood, you know, turn muddy. So um, those are things that are new. Uh, they're very SARS-CoV-2 specific. And I think it's really disingenuous that people don't discuss those when they're talking about, you know, building herd immunity or, you know, et cetera, having multiple infections. Yeah. So a good reason. So, so you know, part of this. Okay. So let's switch gears for a minute and talk about, um, and talk about monkeypox because this is a, a new, uh, relatively new entrant to the infectious disease scene. If this is a giant, I mean, it's not an, it's not a new entrant, but it, it's a new entrant in that it is suddenly spreading, right? Yes. It's suddenly become a cause of concern. Monkeypox has been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, where are we now on that? We are, um, I would say, right where you don't want to be. Um, the WHO has just, you know, finally announced by by a um, a veto by the head of the WHO, uh, Tedros. Um, it has been announced that it is now considered to be, you know, an emergency situation. I can't remember the exact terminology that WHO uses. It's not um, necessarily pandemic, but a, you know, emerging it's a, it's pathogen. An emergency. Yeah. Um, none of that really, to be honest, matters except within the WHO's remit and, and the way that they get funding and can, you know, then deploy resources. In that case, it matters. In terms of the spreading of the thing itself, um, when it first emerged, uh, it was probably not a huge surprise to people that had worked on monkeypox before because it lots of people had been warning for ages that same kind of problem as we see now with letting COVID spread, you shouldn't let it spread over and over again. And it wasn't being particularly um, contained in certain parts of Africa, right? So there's been monkeypox outbreaks um, over and over again in West Africa, et cetera. And a lot of different um, very great, smart public health people were, you know, explaining that that just like with any other spreading disease is a problem and can lead to something new. Um, so now that it has, uh, we early on got a study out of a group in Portugal um, and they were essentially saying, you know, while this looks like 2019 strains of monkeypox, it has about 50 mutations, which I don't recall the exact number, but it was something like, you know, an order of magnitude long, larger than the normal rate of mutation 10 X or something like that. Um, and that's really bad because that means we have to figure out what those mutations do. So if it's, you know, much more similar to an earlier strain, you can expect it to behave more like that earlier strain. And clearly it's not. So um, it's more transmissible in, in one way or another. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to come out with a lot of really good studies on why, but it'll take a little bit. And for the meantime, we have got a, a spreading pathogen in the middle of another pandemic um, that while not extremely deadly to most adults in its traditional form is kind of a new version, right? And the same problem is going to keep reoccurring if you let these things spread. And just like with COVID, if we get, you know, 10 million new monkeypox infections, that may breed new variants. And so we kind of run right back into the same problem. Um, and all of this is to say, there's a reason we try to contain pathogens, particularly ones that tend to be deadly and monkeypox tends to be deadlier in children. So, you know, if you're, if you're thinking it's not a problem, then maybe think twice, um, particularly once schools get back in session. If this thing, if we don't understand how it spreads or how quickly it spreads or why, we're in trouble. And so far, the CDC has been um, not helpful in that process. Um, they've been very focused on, I think, the kind of do not panic thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm not saying people should panic. Panicking helps no one in any situation. 
But keeping people misinformed so that they don't panic because you sort of presuppose they would is uh, not a very genuine or useful public health measure. Um, and it tends to just create chaos. So right now there's a lot of messaging that it's only occurring in uh, men seeking men, essentially men sleeping with men. Um, this just has all the hallmarks of what happened during the original outbreak of HIV. Um, it's the same story. And so it's very frustrating to watch at times because that's a provably not true with monkeypox was not the narrative before on monkeypox or how it spread, um, was not the represented caseload of monkeypox in earlier strains in Africa. Um, so there's no reason to believe that. Um, the so, so, tell, so for those who are not familiar with uh, why, why it's so overrepresented in the gay community, can you please explain why that is problematic as a measure of, of who is? Yes. So. Um, Unsurprisingly, uh, close contact makes it easy to spread a virus, right? Um, and, and that's true for pretty much any pathogen I can think of that spreads from person to person. So um, the closer the contact, the easier it is to spread. I'm not even sure that there's a direct um, like causation that's been studied with monkeypox and fluid exchange, for instance. Right. Um, but you can get it from touching each other's skin mm -hmm. and you can get it from breathing close to each other. Um, I think it's much less transmissible um, by air traditionally. I don't know about the new strain, but traditionally um, than things like SARS-CoV-2, but that's not saying much because, you know, COVID is the most transmissible airborne virus we've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's not exciting news. That just means, you know, it's it's a little bit less terrifying that way, which is great. Um, but it, it, it just literally, there's no scientific backing to the idea that it only affects, you know, the homosexual male population. Um, there's lots of reasons to kind of surmise why it might spread quickly, particularly during like Pride Month or something. That's always going to be a factor with any amount of large scale human gathering and close contact. So also, I, think, I think part of what I was getting at is and it's important to understand this as you think about why this is a false narrative, which is. And this is something that you told me the other day, so I'm just going to repeat it. Uh, but when you're testing, when you identify, yeah. you know, only those who are members of the gay population or who have had sex with men recently, you know, gay men recently, uh, are getting, have access to tests in the early part of the pandemic. It turns out that all of the data will tell you that this is primarily an issue among yes. populations. Yeah. And so we've had this problem where um, with limited testing available, it was very early on in the, in the outbreak of monkeypox, it was very clear that it had happened at a couple different, primarily MSM events, right? Which men seeking men events. Um, that's fine. You know, it's easily believable. However, if you then restrict testing because of the risk category, right. you, you've essentially got like a small sample size of, of have done. and yeah. you need to build your entire response mechanism, which is um, not smart and not very uh, forward looking. And so particularly when we're already seeing cases, <clears throat> you know, already in multiple countries, we've had cases that are not just primarily in that group. And we know that a lot of testing is being restricted just to at-risk people, at-risk people. And that is, you know, all specifically the homosexual population, then that's gonna be 100% of your cases because they're the only ones you gave a test. And, and it means very little in terms of where it actually is spreading. And so I think what we have right now is a situation where that everything I just described has already occurred. Um, I'm sure it will turn out to be a mistake. I think we're learning that now already. 
Um, and what we really have is uh, untraced spread in other populations. And so we will find out how much of that is occurring. But how, how widespread do you think this is now? Fairly widespread. I mean, I can't remember who it was, but someone was just, um, you know, a, a epidemiologist was just recently quoted in the news is talking about how we're kind of at our last moment. It's probably Scott Gottlieb, but um, we're kind of at our last moment to contain this thing. Um, I think that may have already passed because we we had a pretty strong window there for a couple of months to do all the things that you would normally do, like ring fen- ring fenced vaccinations around new cases. But we weren't we didn't have the testing, and so just like the beginning of you know, the COVID pandemic, if you can't test and trace, then you can't ring, ring fence vaccinate everyone who's been exposed because you don't know who's been exposed. Um, so that that is already a major problem. We probably do have some window here, and I would really hope that some very robust response just suddenly comes into play. Um, but I would probably give that a low probability at this point. And so I think the best thing to do is to be much more aware of, and we don't have to get into it in this brief piece, but you know, do go and look up the symptoms. Do assume, by the way, that it is not what it has always looked like. So the one thing that I've heard from doctors and from um, other folks that have gotten it, that have you know discussed it publicly, is that it doesn't always look like you know a huge number of lesions all over your body. So um, one doctor described it to me as sometimes it just looks like a pimple. So um, without you know panicking or being too terrified or anything like that. If something feels off or you feel like, you know, this is a really weird, you know, new bump I have. All of our YouTube subscribers are going to rush to rush to the mirror <laughs> and, and check out their zits now. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, panic helps no one. It's not um, it's not worth worrying too much or going fully hypochondriac about every you know little mark on your skin. But um, paying attention is worth it when there's a new and spreading virus, right? And particularly because this thing is, um, it may not be as infectious as you know the worst, most infectious virus we've ever seen, but um, it is certainly uh, long lasting. And so it's very easy to spread it, I think probably for that reason alone, because it sticks around for weeks and weeks. And so you can be infectious for a prolonged period of time. And if you don't wanna give it, you know, to people that you know and love, just like all of us should not want to give anything else to people that we know and love, then it's worth keeping an eye out and uh, and knowing that it doesn't just show up all of a sudden as some crazy, you know, wild infection. There are asymptomatic cases. There are very um, small symptom cases where there's very few symptoms. Um, so it's worth paying attention to and knowing if it's spreading in your area. Um, and it's worth remembering that it is not, you know, simply based on sexual contact or something like that. It's, it's yeah, actually- you should- don't try not to snuggle with ever, anyone, too, you know, too many outside sources if you can help it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, people are people. So I, I always think that public health policy that seeks to stop people from doing things that humans naturally do is silly. But um, one good recommendation I've seen is, you know, if you are in close contact with people and you develop symptoms, then you should, you should call it up for a while. Yeah. yeah. And you should maybe stop touching people yeah. for a while. If you feel like there's an off chance, you might have just contracted monkeypox. <laughs> okay. So, so we are just about out of time, but I want to close by saying one thing, which is you've mentioned twice during the course of this conversation that both COVID and monkeypox are mutating much more quickly. You have also mentioned And I think, you know, this is something I think we've talked about many times before on this podcast. We've talked about it in the global report. There is a lot of reason to believe that COVID especially, potentially monkeypox, although I believe it requires further investigation, um, could be, could have been uh, 
artificially created as as weapons, right? As bioweapons. Um, and I'm I'm I want to say this because I you know, although we don't know for sure if that is true of monkeypox yet, uh, the fact that it is naturally changing so quickly uh, means that it is more likely. Yeah, so I would say it, I'd probably phrase it almost in the reverse of what you've just said. It is extremely discouraging that we have two different pathogens moving around the world at the same time that appear to have a drastically higher rate of mutation than the things that we're used to dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of monkeypox, it's doubly discouraging because that has been a traditionally extremely lab studied pathogen. Um, and there's a bunch of different reasons for that, but the, the reason that um, people were studying in the lab is that it's not smallpox, but it is, you know, editable. And so um, there were, there were indeed a lot of bioweapons programs that used strains of monkeypox because it retained plausible deniability. Well, so, so all of that is not to say that these things are bioweapons. All of that is to say that we should be paying a lot of attention when we repeatedly encounter new strains of known pathogens or some kind of you know, new version of a previously known pathogen that don't look anything like anything we've ever seen. And I think that that's kind of a weird place to be in. Um, it, it's hard to you know, know exactly what to say about that, except that um, it should be deeply studied. You know, we should, we should be trying to trace where these things came from. We should be trying yeah. to trace why they mutate. Um, so we should not I... trust these pathogens. What? I said, we should not trust these pathogens. Right. So I think my bigger point is if, you know, it, it's feeling a little bit like we are in a biological warfare game of squid game. Right. And the goal is stay alive. And if what, if, if the next few years are, you know, the point of this conversation is how to help people understand and prepare for what, what may be coming. We can expect to see a large number of mutations of, of coronavirus, you know, of COVID, which may or may not be more deadly, but there's the more times they happen, the more likely it is that there's are deadlier strains coming out. We can, ex we know that the more times we, we co contract COVID, the more likely it is that we will have long-term health effects. Uh, and long COVID symptoms that could be deadly eventually if they are not, um, even if the COVID itself does not kill you immediately. And I think that is really the point of this conversation is I think people understanding that is a very different framing yeah. of, of, understand, of COVID than is currently being promoted in the media. And we want to make sure that those of you who are following the work that Evan has been doing you know, tirelessly over the last two years, the work that, you know, we have been doing to help people understand what to expect from COVID, know that that is how we see COVID going forward. And that is why you should try not to get it. And that is why you should still, if you care about not getting it and not dying eventually from giant tons of tiny blood clots, uh, you should still be wearing a mask indoors. If you don't, we can't stop you and we don't really have any interest in trying to stop you, but we will be doing it. Yeah. I would say that, um, well, I have, I have two thoughts and the second one is silly. So maybe we'll end on that one. But the first, the first one is, um, I think a lot of people have, people really love, um, black and white. And I know it's easier to think that way. And a lot of people have gotten themselves into this sort of place where they, you know, are so tired of the pandemic and rightfully so. Right. I mean, 
why wouldn't you be? Um, everyone is very tired of the pandemic. We all want to hang out with our friends and, again. Yeah. And they just want to go back to their old life and see people and et cetera, et cetera. And, and right down to not having to wear a mask at all. Um, you know, I, I understand that too. It's, it's hot in the summertime and you don't want to have something strapped to your face. It's not weird to, to dislike that feeling. Um, but in terms of um, what you can do to slow the spread or to avoid, to lower the chances that you contract something, it doesn't mean you have to do everything perfectly all the time. Right. Um, so if you're feeling like you're tired and you want to, you know, have a social gathering or whatever, that's very different than doing it every single night. Right. And that's very different than I, I always get to the same point with um, talking about masking with people with risk and reward. So, you know, what is the value that you glean from popping into a gas station and not having your mask on compared to putting your mask on? It's almost nothing. You want the gas station people to see your face, you know, you, you want them to. <laughs> so I think, you know, remembering risk and reward and going, you know, do I really care if I have to wear this thing for 30 minutes while I'm grocery shopping versus, you know, at my family dinner? Right. Um, no matter what your choices are, there's a lot of ways to, to reduce risk without having to feel like you're living, you know, some sort of caged life. Um, and personally, I still try to be um, pretty, pretty much close to perfect. Um, you know, I, I spend time with my friends indoors sometimes when it's a small group of people and we don't wear masks. But um, I try to be pretty much perfect about putting my mask on anywhere else. And the, and the risk reward benefit analysis for me for anything outside of a social gathering with like two people is pretty much zero for not wearing a mask. You know, um, particularly given all the things that we've talked about today about what it can do to your body, um, COVID, I mean, yeah, there's just very little benefit to, uh, you know, entering a random public establishment um, without as much protection as you can do. Um, and then my last piece, which kind of applies more to monkeypox, which is um, one thing to look for with monkeypox is we're going to be learning a lot more about how, to, how it transmits, um, how likely each kind of transmission is, et cetera. Uh, like I said, I think it's going to be very clearly the case that it's not just, you know, uh, uh, you, some one group of others, you know, we call it othering in anthropology or whatever can be, you know, put in the corner and they're the only ones who get monkeypox. I think that's very silly and extremely dishonest and dangerous thinking. Um, but we'll learn a lot more about how you do get monkeypox. Um, and I think just keeping an eye out for that so that you know how to respond. Um, there's, there's aspects of monkeypox that sound really scary. Like, Oh, it you know, lasts a long time on services. Just wait for people to study what that means in terms of actually getting it before getting too scared about it. Um, cause you'll be overwhelmed if you just think that it's everywhere and, you know, and there's no, just like panicking, there's no benefit to being overwhelmed. So we'll learn a lot more. Uh, we'll try to keep you updated at SNS and, um, fire and, uh, hopefully there will be a lot of good news as well as some other news. Um, but it will be very clearly spreading for some time to come. Uh, and the case counts are definitely going to go way up, uh, from where they are now, both in the U S and globally. Uh, and so I just kind of, what popped into my head when we were talking about it was, um, I don't know how many people remember this old children's song, but it went something like, don't you put it in your mouth if you don't know where it's been or if you don't know what it is. And so we kind of have the same. I, I grew up with you. I've never heard of this. Children. You never heard that one. It was a, it was a classic. It was, you know, to encourage kids not to eat, you know, random dirty things off the floor. Well, it turns uh, out that eating dirt is actually good. Like if you're out in the woods, yeah, it's different. that's actually good for kids, but just not the, uh, yeah. it depends on where you are. Right. But that's hence the, if you don't know where it's been. So, um, I think that, you know, that's kind of the same, same principle. People are very excited to sort of go back to life, you know, going into giant stadiums full of 10,000 people, but you, 
you're going to want to have a mask on for all the same reasons. And it's good to be a little bit cognizant of what's entering your immune system or, or your body right now. Um, all right. Well, we, we, we have to wrap up, but um, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really helpful. I think um, I'm hoping that it will help other people as they are trying to think about what to expect and how to think about taking calculated smart risks that bring you personal joy instead of just showing the gas station clerk uh, your really nice um, makeup for the day or whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah, I think Marie Kondo is a great note to end on, actually. If it, if it sparks joy, then it may be worth risk. If it does not, yeah. what are we doing? All right, the Marie Kondo of masking, I like it. Thanks, Ev. All right.